Welcome, everybody. There is a new, if you haven't heard the news, a new era in AEW has begun. It's the bidding war of 2024. Maxwell Jacob Friedman. MJF era has begun at Full Gear 2022. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Brian Ahari Ballard, and I'm here to take you through all the results and the thoughts that was the pay-per-view event tonight. So, without further ado, let's get in. Welcome, everybody, again. I am your host, Brian, the Hype Ballard. I'm going to take you through all the results and thoughts for this great event tonight. And I tell you what, AEW was on a true rebound mission, and they succeeded tonight. And it started with the zero hour. We're going to take you through that real quick, and we'll get you into the main event. And without further ado, let's start. All right, so the first part of the zero hour, we had three matches featured. We had started out with the best friends, Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy, and Trent Beretta, Don Hausen, and Rocky Romero versus The Factory, consisting of Aaron Solo, Cole Carter, Lee Johnson, Nick Colmordo, and Q.T. Marshall, everybody's favorite trainer. So, the match actually starts out. Uh, Dan Housen was announced as a mystery opponent in this matchup. Now, we all kind of knew he was known as a very evil, very mysterious partner. And um, a little bit of a gimmick change for Dan Housen tonight. So, with that, we're going to go ahead and get into some of the action. So, Taylor and Solo start. The babyface fifth man, of course, um, didn't start out with me and Dan Housen. So, that way, we go down. And really, this was just kind of a standard tag match, back and forth, designed to really get Orange Cassidy onto the card and get them up and going with the pay-per-view. Um, if you really want to get a crowd started that got there early and get them ready and hot, ready to cheer for, they love to start out with Orange Cassidy and just get this Atlantic Championship kind of on the card. So it was not defended tonight. But there were some good spots in the match. Uh, the best friends, you know, take care of really a business, and they get QT Marshall at one point in the match all by himself. And uh, he falls over basically before Cassidy can knock him down. The factory um, then goes to do a four-way Zoom hug, um, mimicking Cassidy and the uh, best friends. So the factory actually does their four- or five-way Zoom hug, and uh, all on QT Marshall, and they kind of make fun a little bit of their opponents. So other than that, the big thing with this match happened when um, Dan Housen actually makes his way to the ring, much uh, to a very scared QT heel uh, Marshall. So at that point, Dan Housen, who undergone a little bit of a gimmick change, he didn't appear from under the ring, he came down the ramp, looking very serious, um, as serious as he can be. And at that point, he is the fifth man. Uh, he's carrying a jar of teeth and a spike, and he hits the ring full of violence, lariats, German suplexes, he cracks, Corbordo with the jar. Um, Orange then lands a punch and connects, and he dumps the teeth into uh, actually Nick's mouth, the opponent's mouth, and then uh, basically hits it off the rope, and then the teeth kind of go all over the place. Uh, I know this sounds really weird, and I want you guys to just stay. You know, the Dan Housen character is weird, right? So, at the end of the day, best friends Dan Housen, Rocky Romero, went by pinfall, and um, basically Dan Housen gets a 
big boot on Nick. And at that point, there's a post-match um, blast. QT Marshall. They basically then hold up QT Marshall, and Dan Allison hits him with the spike that he carried down the ring. And then they lead into a five-way face babyface team hug, featuring Dan Housen in the middle. So a little bit of a gimmick change for Dan Housen. He looks a little more edgier, a little more serious. Um, so I guess he's taking himself a little more seriously as a wrestler. He's still a crowd favorite. Um, he doesn't really do it for me, but that's fine because it doesn't you know, work for everybody. But it was a good pre-show match. It just got the crowd up and going with Orange Cassidy, Dan Housen, and gave people a reason to cheer. Let's move on. And moving on, we did. We moved on to the World Tider Eliminator Tournament. And with that, this tournament has been boiling down. Ethan Page gets a win over Eddie Kingston and then gets a bye into the finals. And then at that point, Lance Archer uh, actually loses to Ricky Starks. So um, at this point, Brian Cage then beats Dante Mark. So leading into tonight's matchup, which is the winner is going to face Ethan Page at um, Dynamite on this Wednesday. And then the winner of this whole tournament will get a AEW title shot. So tonight we get the quarterfinals of Brian Cage and Ricky Starks. I will want to say, I am a Brian Cage fan. I like the Wolverine, the machine, right? But AEW just seems to kind of use him to tell stories for other people. So, Ricky Starks actually was the story here in this match in the pre-show. He beat Lance Archer to get here. Kind of a big, uh, another big man compared to him. And then tonight he does beat Brian Cage to advance to take on Ethan Page on Wednesday in the finals to get a title shot at the AEW champion. So this one was a you know, pretty good matchup overall. Um, I gotta say there was one point in the match where I was impressed with Ricky Starks being able to pick up Brian Cage and do a lot of moves on him in the match. So um, he hit like an axe bomber at one point. Uh, he hit a float over inverted suplex, a tornado DDT. Um, there was a rush on bow that ultimately ended up uh, being one of the major things because uh, he actually won the match with the Rush on Bow, which is his finisher. So Ricky Starks is moving on. Let's get to our third matchup, which is actually, in my opinion, I can't believe I'm saying it, okay? So hold on a second. Eddie Kingston versus June Akayama. And I gotta say, guys, I actually enjoyed an Eddie Kingston match. I'm never gonna admit that again. But I will say this. Like you've heard me say on the channel before, I'm not a big Eddie Kingston guy. For some reason, he just doesn't get the job done for me. But this match tonight, he actually opened up with a very heartfelt promo. You can tell this was a dream match for Eddie Kingston, so it meant a lot to him. And then we get both the gentlemen in the ring. They're circling, they're collaring and elbowing. And Akayama with a side, he hits Akayama with a side headlock. Um, a shot off, a knee block, Eddie then drops him with a lariat. There's fist up, they're feeling each other out, and then they end up uh, going for looking for a double wrist lock, a shift to a waist lock. June looks to turn it into an arm bar, but Eddie gets a full Nelson out of it. Akayama trying to break the hold. He ends up getting to the ropes, and Eddie breaks dirty uh, a little bit, and then with a chop. There's a forearm going on in the middle, and then we start with the chops. Okay, I was liking the ring work and the psychology up to this point. I'm like, uh-oh, here we go with Eddie and the chops. Eddie starts chopping away, but they weren't overdone. Not like his match at All Out last month, where it was just two older guys smacking each other in the chest for a good 15 minutes. This was actually 
really good because I mean, it was methodically completed. So at this point, uh, they go back a little further. They crash to the aprons of the floor a little bit. And they go outside just a little bit. And then at this point, they go on further on. Later on in the match, uh, Kingston basically, as they're docking for position, resorts to biting during the match. And they hit an avalanche brain buster. There's more chops in the corner, but this time they're machine gun style. By Kingston. Jude then turns around, hits with a flurry of forearms, but Eddie fires right back with more machine gun chops, looking for a backdrop driver. Blocked, and then a half Nelson suplex sends Akiyama flying. Jude with an exploder, and then Eddie with a T-bone suplex, and he gets a knee, and both men are down and out. Akiyama finally gets an arm over him. Nope. Looking for another exploder, but Kingston reverses it into a DDT. Eddie feeling it. Backfist to the future. Boom! Can't keep June Akiyama down, though. He's waiting for him. He blocks the backfist. He hits the exploder suplex. And then Eddie kicks out of the knee. That's the hit by Akiyama. Drawing him up, thinking the sternness, uh, thinking sternness dust, maybe. Eddie reverses to a Northern Light suplex. Still no. Eddie draws him up a second time. Eddie Kingston then hits him with a back fist to the future. Boom! One, two, three. For the win in the pin. Eddie Kingston by pinfall. Guys, I gotta say, like I said, it's a good match. It was fun. Um, it really set the tone going into the main event pay-per-view. There was a post-match uh, promo by Eddie. An emotional Eddie Kingston raises Akiyama's hand. They shake hands. And the All Japan legend returns the favor. A lot of respect for both of these guys as they're bowing down to each other. Ortiz comes down to the ring, embraces Kingston, and then Eddie gets on the mic and asks how much time he has. So I like this version. Eddie Kingston is breaking the fourth wall like crazy, and you're just not used to seeing that in wrestling, right? Um, ultimately, he says it's not about him. The fans are saying thank you, Eddie. And he doesn't want us to thank him. He wants to thank everybody for coming out tonight. He thanks Jun Akiyama and the King's Road Style. He says, if you don't know the King's Road Style, Google it. You won't be disappointed. It's what inspired him to do what he wanted to do. He gives tribute to legends of Japan like Giant Baba, Sharu um, Misawa, um, and so forth, Antonio Inoki, and others. And he tells everybody to order the goddamn pay-per-view, and then he sees his man Mox, so he can see his man Mox beat the piss out of MJF also hypes up the two women's matches before he gets the high side and he literally goes oh am i out of time they're kicking me out i gotta go god bless you everyone and Ed kingston leaves right um very fun opening segment from kingston and he did a good job getting the crowd to laugh a little bit you can tell he was really appreciating the match appreciating the fans and this eddie kingston i could get used to Again, I don't know if I'm ever going to be an Eddie Kingston guy, but I could get used to the style here. Um, he enjoyed it. He was, a, a, you know, had a good demeanor about him. So definitely, you know, it was the best out of all the buy-in matches. And now we're getting into the main event.
Full Gear is underway. The pay-per-view begins. And, as you can see, we have a loaded card tonight with a lot of action. And we did a really good job of getting through the action. Um, like, unlike other pay-per-views in the past at AEW, sometimes it was a bit of a drain to sit there for that long. But tonight was an enjoyable experience for me. And I want to say, maybe it's not the best pay-per-view of the year. It might be. It's hard to just pick one for me because I love the product that they put on. But Full Gear is definitely shifting up and ready to roll. So let's get into our first matchup. And they let off with a heck of a matchup to open. Opening matchups are tricky, as you guys know. You've got to encompass the action. You have to get something that's going to get a crowd favorite involved. And you have to have action with a lot, not a lot of rest holds involved, right? Because you've got to get these guys and this crowd up and going and excited. And we got that tonight with the immediate steel cage. And I will say this, too, with the steel cage starting out. It's smart to do this at the beginning of the pay-per-view because it makes the cleanup a little bit easier on the staff. But we got Jungle Boy Jack Perry versus Luchasaurus with Christian Cage in his corner. And this has been going on for a while. This is the final payoff feud. As you guys know, we've been watching a transition of Jungle Boy shedding his skin, so to speak, to become Jack Perry, the man. And I look at this, as you guys see, they've been slowly breaking him away from Luchasaurus. And tonight, he does get a clean break. And Jungle Boy, that moniker is slowly getting diminished as we become the evolution of Jack Perry. So in this, we get the cage match, which was done appropriately tonight to make sure the feud ends in a steel cage. I want to start off to say, the steel cage was very large, and it seems larger than life on these AEW pay-per-views. We get a hot start immediately in the match. Perry catches himself from being thrown into the steel steps and rebounds with a missile drop kick. We get rights and lefts in the turnbuckles. Um, Luchasaurus grinding uh, Jack's face into the steel steps and immediately we got blood within the first two minutes of the night. Pressing the attack, there's a big side slam for a two count. Jungle Boy wearing the crimson mask already and as he gets thrown into the cage over and over. Up in the turnbuckle, Perry gets a cross arm bar into the ropes. He's clubbing. Luchasaurus, and he comes back with a boot and a huge choking deal across the ring. A wrist lock, backbreaker rack, and then we get a cutthroat burning hammer, and he just can't get him to go away. Christian Cage, sneaky next to the ref on the outside, quietly lifts the key out of referee Mike Posey's pocket, unlocking the door while Posey calls for security, and eventually Christian is comically dragged away, kicking and screaming up the ramp. Luchasaurus is out on the floor, Jungle Boy right behind him. And there's a drop kick on the ramp, but Luchasaurus catapults him into the cage wall. Luchasaurus pulling hardware out from under the ring, throwing a table and two chairs into the ring, and then back into the cage. Jungle Boy Jack Perry cuts him off with a knee, only to get a drop by a boot. Jungle Boy with a drop kick. Off the ropes, another drop kick, and he sends him to the apron. A third puts Luchasaurus into the steel, kicking him into the wall again and again. But Luchasaurus hits a back body drop and cuts him off. Jack has the choke slam into the chair. He's scouted basically off the ropes, and there's a flip, child flip pile driver connects for one count. Simple one. Smash. Smashing Luchasaurus with the chair. A kill switch on the chair. Nope. Not going to happen. Off the ropes. A step up, 
blocked a choke slam into the chair, putting Perry into the turnbuckles. And up top with him, jockeying for position. Jack counters with a Shiranu. Jungle Boy sits up and yells at him and rushes with him with forearms. Luchasaurus hits him with a headbutt. But there's big right hands telling Jack to stay down. And he keeps getting up. Perry slaps Luchasaurus with the hands coated in his own blood. And he's lost quite a bit of blood at this point for you know what you typically see. Um, then he hits the big man exactly where he wants him. He gets a stump pile driver on Luchasaurus, but one and two, and it's not ever enough. Perry sets up the table. Luchasaurus meets him, and again, he reverses it into a sleeper hold. Dino knocks the table over and rams him into the corner in the block. There's a tombstone pile driver that connects, but he hangs on. A tombstone face buster. Ooh, so close. And up, one, a shoulder, and Jack goes back to the sleeper. Hanging in there, the big man fades, and Jack sets him up on the table, smacks him with the chair, climbs the turnbuckles and then the cage, and Jungle Boy looks around and pauses. And at the very top of the cage, he's looking down and you're thinking, what's he gonna do? Is it a moonsault? Is it a Ric Flair whatever move that was gonna be in the past? No, he does the most beautiful elbow drop off the top of the cage, through a table, and it's a, a snare trap and it's over. Jungle Boy Jack Perry wins by submission with a snare trap. And the winner is, again, Jungle Boy shedding his skin of Luchasaurus. Again, I want to talk about that elbow drop from the top. The top of the cage, through the table. That elbow drop looked shades of Shawn Michaels or Macho Man Randy Savage. I loved the look of it. And I was saying tonight, maybe this is a new finisher move. Not off the top of a cage every time, but maybe Jungle Boy Jack Perry has a signature move or a finishing move in his single career that is the elbow drop. So I think it's great when you can add finishing moves that mean something to your journey as a wrestler and your story. And I feel like if they made this elbow drop mean something, and they made this elbow drop his new finisher as he goes on to a singles career without Luchasaurus, it will constantly remind friends and family of this epic moment in the steel cage where his singles career truly began. So again, great opening match by AEW. The crowd was super hot after this. And I definitely gonna say, how are they gonna follow this one up? So again, uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry with the win. We're gonna move on and this is how you follow it up. You follow it up with the return of Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, AKA the Elite. And they're going for the trios tag championships against the current holders, the Death Triangle. We get out first, the Death Triangle with their entrance, followed by Elite with a coming out to a very special song altogether. Don Callis is on commentary for this one and adds a little to the match. Don Callis, um, at this point, we turn over to the action. Pack and Omega start. They collar and elbow and it gives way to a waist lock, a standing switch, reverses to a wrist lock, a roll through, a whip to the corner, a boot up, a shoulder block, a slingshot over, a whip across, Kenny ducks a lariat, baseball slides the bastard out, and there's a Katoro crusher, follows by Pack that lands on his feet. Lots of action, and you know there's going to be flips and kicks on this one, guys. So there's tags then eventually made to Nick Jackson in Phoenix. They square up in the floor. There's a sunset flip powerbomb that's denied, but back in the ropes, Jackson with a dropkick, and 
Ray rolls to the floor, back in, a fake out, an ace crusher, a block, a waist lock, a standing switch, a back elbow, a la casadora, a slip out, and they trade kicks back and forth, and they all hit a forearm, bam, at the same time. He tags in his partner and his brother, Matt Jackson. Penta is now in the other brother, and all four brothers are at it with kicks, and all four are down and out, and then all four do an amazing kip up all at the same time. Very fun spot in the match, and I would expect nothing less with these group. They showed us a lot tonight. At this point, Pac gets in and turns things around with stomps to Omega, and then quick tags him to keep him uh, basically back a little bit. Kenny gets a face buster for a tag. Matt is in with a rolling Northern Lights suplex on Phoenix and a double, and then gets his brother too. Jackson with punches tries to fight out of the corner. There's a big drop kick. The bastard cuts him off as he starts running for the tag. They go on and on. There's a lot of crazy strikes and a lot of action in this matchup, right? And then basically, eventually it leads into Penta running in again and he eats a dragon suplex, and then there's one for Pac-2. A Terminator dive wipes him and Penta both out, and Nick Jackson then springboard Frankensteiner to the floor and wipes everybody out on the outside. We then go back inside, and Omega starts, you know, retaliating and hitting some moves of his own. Pac sidesteps at this point. Kenny's momentum hits a whiplash to him with a German suplex, and when Pac hits those moves, they hits them hard and fast, and I love seeing this. This definitely uh, was fun to see these guys go at it back and forth. If you guys remember about a year ago, um, the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks were in some very good matches for the regular tag title. So we just had a little seasoning to the sauce here, adding Pac and Kenny Omega. And I would like to see more, and I will get my wish. So at this point, Pac throws the um, Ray the hammer. There's then this hammer that is where the story has been kind of going. Um, and Ray Phoenix has been struggling. It's almost like a face turn, like he doesn't want to use the hammer. But then he ends up using, um, and he basically, uh, he decides not to use the hammer. He gets hit with a V-trigger for doing the right thing. And then, but ultimately Phoenix, it's not enough to keep him down. So Matt throws the bastard into the barricade. Penta's running hot, sling blades everybody all over the ring. And then, Sierra, Miedo, off the ropes and right into a super kick party by the Bucks. So, Nick with a poison Frankensteiner on Phoenix, and Omega with a powerbomb, a BTE trigger, but Pac breaks it up. Throwing the Bucks out of the ring, the bastard has the hammer again, but Nick just barely clocks him with a super kick before he can hit Kenny with it. There's a diving on him. Matt off the top ropes with a moonsault. Omega's clear on Phoenix. There's a V-trigger. Pac hands him the hammer and then an electric chair and Ray gives in and ultimately uses the hammer and smacks him with it. And the Death Triangle win, not by hook, but just also crook, by pinfall with a victory roll from Ray Phoenix onto Kenny Omega to retain the World Trios Championship. Bravo. B. Elite, B-E Elite, no, B-Lucha, because the Death Triangle got it done tonight, but both men, this was a match where there were no losers, there was just one group that kept the titles, there was a post-match where Phoenix is downing and uh, giving it, and basically in the post-match, you know, you can tell he's getting a little bit, he's kind of bummed about using the hammer, but he gets a pep talk from Pac and Penta, 
to kind of cheer up the spirits. So ultimately, you could tell Phoenix might be looking at a little bit of a dissension from the group. Phoenix with a conscience. Ultimately, super good match, and we're two for two tonight at full gear. We have the retention of the champions, and I made this comment tonight, and I said, it's very important with these guys just winning the championships due to the whole CM Punk fiasco with the Elite. The Death Triangle won, John Moxley won, and I made a comment tonight, and I said, if MJF is going to win tonight, you cannot let the Elite just walk in here and grab the titles and walk away as well. It makes the competitors in the division look weak, and Tony Khan and AEW got it right tonight, and they allowed the Death Triangle to advance. But that would not be the end of it. We will get a best of seven series announced through the next couple months for these titles between these two teams. And I love this idea. It's going to help strengthen the division. And you know what? These two teams, I feel, could entertain me seven times overall with different matches, different gimmicks. And I say keep it coming and bring it on. And let's get a true champion crown after the best of seven series. Let's move on. And moving on, we did. We didn't move on too far, though. This is where we get the third match of the night. We get a Jade Cargill match with the TBS champion. And we also get Nyla Rose, who stole the TBS champion. Nyla Rose is out first with her entrance. She basically comes out with Vicky Guerrero and an Eddie Guerrero tribute with the car and the whole nine yards. At that point, Jade Cargill makes her entrance. And one thing I'm enjoying about Jade is the cosplay element that she likes. And this time we get a Thundercats tribute from Jade Cargill. And you guys will see what I mean here in a minute. But Cargill is basically, they start in the ring for this title. This was a very, very quick match, and that's probably a good thing. So the Cargill is right in front with the forearms, elbows, and action to the floor. Uh, Rose then turns things around by the time they get to the ring. Our champion is flexing, and Jade basically blasts her in the mouth with a boot and goes up. Nyla with a boot to block dive, taking her down and getting the near fall. A sidestep, a knee, and then a kick to the midsection. They're jockeying for position over a suplex, of all things. Rose hangs her up in the ropes, up top, diving knee, drop two, looking for a beast bomb. Jade floats out, a big elbow, but she can't capitalize. Whip reverse, Jade Cargill hits a beast bomb, and Nyla won't be defeated tonight. But her own finish, I her own finishing move at least. They're then, looking for a jaded, Rose though rolls through it in a very awkward moment. And sometimes I just kind of wonder if that was the right move to try on Nyla Rose. Uh, it gets reversed. Nyla kicks out. There's a go behind it, elbow to the back, a double chicken wing, and then Rose hits jaded. But it's just not enough. Jade blasts her with a pub kick. A double chicken wing, and Jade Cartonville wins by pinfall with the Jaded to retain the AEW TBS Championship and advance to a 42-0 match record. As you guys can see here, I like the cosplay. I like the Thundercats look by Jade. You know, it's almost kind of becoming where I look forward to see what she's going to do tonight, and that's not a bad thing. The match was awkward, right? Um... I think they did it right tonight, though, by keeping it short, simple, and to the point. There were a lot of the people in the crowd that did leave during the match. Again, this is developmental for Jade. 
Um, I like Jade. I think she's got a nice hit factor. One of the things I was saying tonight, though, I almost think they need somebody like the Big Show to work with her to teach her how to wrestle that big man or big woman style while being athletic. We know she's a beast, but I almost think the big woman style, um, or the giant style, if you will, would be more beneficial to Jade Cargill using a certain moveset because sometimes, you know, she will try moves that she has a hard time pulling off. And I think it's almost too technical for her at points. So, maybe a little technical, maybe more of a big man style, and maybe we can get Captain Insano to train her a bit, right? So, without being said, 42-0, we're moving on with the TBS Championship, and Jade is continuing on to her next endeavor. And then, business picked right back up. We got Ring of Honor Championship in a fatal four-way match with the American Dragon, Daniel, Brian Danielson, not Daniel Bryan anymore, formerly. We got the champion, Chris Jericho. We got formerly Cesaro, Claudio Casanoli, and Sammy Guevara. If you notice the element they have here, they've got a little bit of the Blackpool Combat Club versus the Jericho Appreciation Society, and those elements would come into play in this matchup. Bonds would be made and broken all in the same match. So at this point, there's a pairing off and brawling in the corners and Jericho and Casanova fall to the floor and keep throwing forearms. Danielson with his chest kicks and in the corner, Brian sends Sammy to the floor and dives right on him. Back inside, the Blackpool Combat Club work together, stereo charging strikes, and then they have an immediate handshake. Neither man willing to let go of the handshake, they end up trading strikes, and Danielson looks for a cross armbar, but Claudio keeps his grip and counters with a deadlift. Friends slash championship contenders is what you got in this one. So at this point, you did see some dissension in the matches between the groups, right? You've seen partnerships, but you also seen guys wanting to be the Ring of Honor champion. And I think that's huge and important for these groups to really get a grasp and build up what this title means. You can tell this is also leading towards the next pay-per-view for Ring of Honor. Later on in the match, we get some BCC double flapjacks and into a half crab by Guevara and off the top with a double ace crusher for them. The Jericho Appreciation Society with a double delayed vertical on Danielson. Chris making Sammy wait and letting him take the pin as he goes with it. Dragon then is coming back in with elbows. There's chest kicks, setting Guevara up. An avalanche Frankensteiner from Sammy, but he lands on his feet off the ropes in a Spanish fly. Jericho with the lion saw, a cover, but one, two, and it's not enough. Casanoli back in, there's a double leg. Chris fights out with the up kicks, and Claudio lands a double stop for a near fall. Whip reversed, a duck, a lariat, a springboard, uppercut, countered with the code breaker, but Guevara breaks it up. These matches, you always get a lot of covers, a lot of pins, a lot of breakups, a lot of just wondering who it's going to be tonight, right? Um, this point, then these matchups tonight, I really, um, you know, I wouldn't think if Jericho was going to pull this off tonight and win. However, there were multiple moments in the match where I was like, ooh, is it going to be Brian Danielson? Ooh, maybe Claudio? No, not Claudio. And there was a point in the match where I really did think maybe they're going to give it to Sammy Guevara because it looked very convincing. So kudos to AEW and Ring of Honor for putting on a great match. And really with a lot of fun storytelling, it made me second guess my prediction. 
Later on in the match, we go on back to the action. There's a sharpshooter in the middle of the ring, and Jericho falls into a cover on Danielson, who kicks out and applies a label lock. So Jericho is trapped in a double submission in the ring, and Chris has nowhere to go, but Guevara breaks it up with a couple super kicks. Jericho hugs Sammy, but gets caught with the uh, GTH. Guevara up top on a shooting star press, but still no. Ryan gets Guevara's face, slaps, uh, he slaps him, whips him into a military press from Claudio, and he throws Sammy out of the ring and into Jericho. Danielson cuts him off with a Busaki knee, but oh, so close. Overhead elbows, Claudio catches him into the elbow of his own. Danielson blocks a power bomb with the elbows, the backsides, the counters, the Swiss death, and a whole slew of things. And then at this point, we get an ace crusher, Claudio out with a Spanish fly to the top. Danielson reverses it to the label lock. Jericho slowly returning as Brian looks to trap the other arm. He breaks it up. The triangle drop kick sends the American Dragon to the floor. Casagoli with a cactus clothesline and he whips Chris into the barricade and follows with European uppercuts a flurry. Danielson looks for the knee, but Claudio catches him with a neutralizer on the floor. Sammy with a shooting star press to the floor, throwing Casagoli back and he catches in the dive. A Swiss death can't put Sammy Guevara down. He just won't give up tonight. Giant swing follows. The fans love the giant swing as it goes and it goes. And as Cesaro, aka Claudio, was in the giant swing, somehow Jericho jumps up over Sammy and hits the Judas effect. Lining Claudio up for a second good measure and a second Judas effect and hits him with one. Jericho wins one, two, and three with the Judas effect on Claudio Casanoli to retain the Ring of Honor World Championship. Solid match by Jericho. He is the GOAT. And not only is he putting over new stars, he's putting over an entire organization once again by putting Ring of Honor on his back. The Ocho gets the win and the pin. Hey guys, real quick, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate each and every one of you. Everybody on Twitter that makes wrestling so enjoyable for me. So from me to you, thank you so much. Hey, I want to also thank my friends out there at thefansofprowrestling.com. John, Will, Heather, Carlos, you know, you guys, thank you guys for, again, being the best part of that community I just spoke about. And I look forward to your shows tomorrow on Sunday. Um, also, if you guys can out there like, share, subscribe, at least hit a like button for me. That really helps YouTube know that this is a legit video and I'm not like a robot on here making weird things, right? So thank you guys once again, and let's get back to the action. And action we shall. The artist formerly known as Paige, a.k.a. Soraya versus Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. This matchup, it was weird because I kept feeling that, like this is a championship match. And I kept finding it weird that this was not for the title tonight because there was not a title on either of these girls. But that's how you know when a match expects to be good, when you don't need a championship to make it great. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, and Soraya, let's get in. Squaring up, Baker jawing. Soraya charges in, a collar and elbow, a roll through, and a smash, and Britt's head into the ring. Baker recovers into the ropes, and there's a clean side headlock applied to Soraya. She has a moment where she seems like her arm's going to break, but she straightens up and goes right back with the headlock of her own. Baker to the floor, lock up a baseball slide, an elbow to the neck, and a hanging neckbreaker off of the apron. 
Okay, Zack Knight, who is um, Soraya's sister. Or excuse me, Soraya's brother. Sorry, it's late, guys. But uh, Soraya's brother, Zack, is in the front row trying to cheer his sister right back into it. Um, but basically, Britt grabs, um, basically drags Soraya over to him, uh, throwing her into the ring, and then blows a kiss at Zack. Back in the ring herself, she goes for a cover and a two count. Overhead, that's Britt playing the heel, right? Overhead, she elbows the ground up in a neck crank and cover for a one and a two. Hanging that breaker out off the rope, Soraya won't stay down. Baker puts on the glove, the infamous glove, and goes for the lockjaw. But Soraya gets to her feet, throws hands, trading shots, whip across a running neck breaker, and nope, not gonna happen tonight. To the floor, there's Electric Terra face buster into the apron. Soraya turns things around. There's a crossbody off the apron. She's fired up. She's back inside trading forearms. You can tell her career is coming back alive in AEW as we thought it was dead so long ago. We go on. There's a fisherman suplex neckbreaker, a lightning spiral, but nope, it's not enough. Frying her up a small package, only a two count. Baker gets the rings of Saturn, you remember that move. But Soraya gets the ropes and she can't turn it into a lockjaw. There's an air raid crash, it connects for a one and a two. Overhead elbows to the net, off the ropes, and she hits the stop, but still just not enough. She's fighting and she's fighting. And the two go back and trade blows back and forth for a little bit longer. And then at this point, Soraya somehow just keeps kicking out of Dr. Britt Baker's punishment. At this point, there's a running knee, another running knee, and another two count. Capture DDT connects once, and she hooks it again, and then it's one, it's two, and it's three. Soraya defeats Dr. Britt Baker. D.M.D. Nice job and a nice return to Soraya. We knew she couldn't lose her match back. It just only seemed meant to be that she gets her win in AEW against the DMD. I like the match. I like what these girls did in the ring. And I'm so happy to see Paige, a.k.a. Soraya, back in the world of wrestling and being medically cleared and being able to really do some of her best work. This was a great sign by Tony Khan to go and get Soraya and bring her in. I know like you guys, I was shocked when she debuted randomly on a Dynamite and it blew my mind. So again, kudos to this matchup and I look forward to seeing what the girls do in the future. Let's move on. We got the TNT Championship on the line. We got the Ring of Honor World TV Champion, Samoa Joe, the TNT Champion, Wardlow, and Powerhouse Hobbs, the only guy without a title. So at this point, it is for the TNT Championship. We get all the guys in. We get a back and forth. There's some jaw jabbing going on. Wardlow throws the first punch and then starts wailing on Joe's, takes him to the floor with a beatdown. Hobbs cuts him off and takes him back inside, slamming the champion. Samoa comes in with some jabs. Powerhouse cuts him off with a back elbow, drawing Mr. Mayhem up, setting up with the turnbuckles and clubbing him into the chest. Joe gets up and, tear, and tears into Will with chops. The exploder suplex takes down the Samoa and uh, the Samoa submission machine. Hobbs with a body blow in the corner, whip across, back to Wardlow with the knee, and there's a whip to the corner, and Mr. Uh, Mayhem, Wardlow, pops up. Springboard corkscrew, Moonsault, takes him out. Super kick to Hobbs, and a headbutt to Joe. 
Alright, so we got the trios matchup here going and triple threat match going on. At this point, um, it's interesting, right? Because I want to give you guys my thoughts. I'm a huge Samoa Joe fan. I've liked him ever since the TNA days. Um, you know, those battles with AJ Styles were, as we say, fire, right? And we also have Powerhouse Hobbs, who honestly is kind of like an imitation Big E Langston for me. I know we don't use his last name anymore, but Big E, right, from WWE New Day. So Powerhouse Hobbs, just, I think it's the singlet that's doing it, right? And I think it's his body build as well. But Wardlow, straight out of Cleveland, Ohio. This guy I like, and I asked the question tonight, is Wardlow Batista-like, or is he more like Ryback done right? I'll let you guys decide. I don't know, maybe let me know in the comments below. But I don't know, I do like Wardlow, and I do think the AEW's got some plans for him. This match is indication. Back to the action. There's a shorter block, uppercuts, and then basically some slamming. Joe comes from behind. He runs right into the spine buster and gets a two count. Wardlow and Hobbs are brawling on the floor. Samoa Joe dives on them. Wilman hits him into the barricade. He picks Wardlow up, and there's a powerhouse. Charges over and runs right through him. Hobbs thrown Mr. Mayhem back inside. And then Wardlow kicks out. There's a fireman carry. And um, at this point, he scrapes his face out, butt up on the shoulder. And then Wardlow slips out and powerbomb number one, powerbomb number two, powerbomb number three. Rolled right into powerbomb number four. But Joe comes in and passed him with the title belt. Joe puts the Coca-Cola clutch on him. And Samoa Joe wins the AEW TNT Championship by submission with the Coca-Cola clutch on Powerhouse Hobbs. Now I get it. Powerhouse Hobbs was here to take the pin. You can't have Wardlow looking bad in a loss. It makes total sense. That's why Powerhouse Hobbs was there. Samoa Joe walks away with two championships. Two championship Joe, if you will. At this point, my one friend was really, you know, he was a little bit shocked at first, right? And I was for a second, but then I realized this is an indicator that MJF was going to be your AEW World Champion. A lot of people want to know who his next competitor is going to be. And I'll tell you what, it's the guy that just lost the TNT Championship without being pinned. And his man is named Wardlow, MJF's former, former bodyguard. Wardlow will be challenging MJF for the AEW World Championship in the next year. Bank on it. And mark my words, it will happen. Uh, the last time those two met were at... AEW um, Double or Nothing, where it was pretty much a squash match um, with Wardlow and MJF in a really weird turn of events night. You guys are going to I'll link that up above right here. Let's move on. And moving on, we shall. We have Sting and Darby Allen versus Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. The acquisition of Jeff Jarrett's an interesting thing. Um, I like Jeff Jarrett. I've met Jeff Jarrett uh, backstage at a house show, and I will say, uh, super professional, super polite, knows the business, good worker, good heel, but also knows how to treat a fan. Um, I'm a Jeff Jarrett fan. I like Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett, if you guys remember, ran TNA in its most successful years. His dad was also a promoter. So he definitely has a nose for the business. And I think Jeff Jarrett coming in 
in AEW's turmoil a little bit is going to help with the booking in the day-to-day -day backstage. And sometimes you need veterans like that. And speaking of veterans, he's going to go up against another veteran, Sting, along with, again, his protege, Darby Allen. You got Jay Lethal kind of playing the TNA protege of Jeff Jarrett. So this is a no-disqualification tag match. So Allen runs down before the bell and wreaks havoc with his skateboard. And then at this point, he's hitting all the guys that Jarrett brought down with him. It's weird because in the very beginning, there was a body bag on the uh, top of the ramp of the steel steps, or the, uh, the top of the ramp, basically. And, you know, I was thinking somebody was in the body bag, but it was more of a distraction. As Darby Allen comes out, Sting is actually entering the ring right behind Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett is looking at Darby Allen, totally ignoring Sting behind him. And in a comedic moment, TNA chance, um, you get TNA chance going on, and Jeff Jarrett looks behind him and notices Sting and then just kind of laughs and turns back around and he goes, wait a minute, and he turns back around and Sting, again, goes right at it, right? So, at this point, the match is kind of getting in and starting up. They fight into the crowd a little bit immediately on the outside. And uh, Darby has Jeff and they suplexes him to the floor. Sting crotches lethal on the barricade. Uh, Darby Allen is up on the stage and back for a ladder, setting up on the stage, and there's a coffin drop off the ladder, uh, but Singh, Satinam Singh, the big giant, catches him and drags him over to the, with a crucifix bomb, uh, basically bombs him right on the ramp, throws Darby Allen around like a ragdoll. Sting then dives off the barricade on the giant, taking him out of Jared takes Allen back into the ringside and throws him into the steps, back into the ring, there's a hard whip, choking him out the ropes, and a little Jarrett strut, ain't I great, right, with the one, two, three, hold up the peace signs. At that point, there's a tag to lethal. The Cobra twists as a five. Sting is now in. Lariat goes all around for everybody. And back elbow to Jeff. The Scorpion Deathlock is applied. Sanjay Dutt returns in, throws a punch to no effect, and Satnam Singh comes in and shoves him aside and choke slams the Stinger. Satnam Singh is a big dude. Tags uh, are made. Lethal and Allen trade forearms, punches, um, and then basically there's a big boot, a coffin drop, uh, caught a lethal combination, but nope. Double J gets the guitar, and J draws Darby up, but Jeff Jarrett, Double J, barely stops him from hitting Lethal, and he almost clocks Lethal with the guitar, and then uh, Darby Allen sidesteps. There's a diamond dust that connects, a coffin drop, and then Jeff Jarrett cuts him out midair with the guitar, and boom, guitar pieces everywhere. Darby pops up, fired back fist, and back fist for everybody. Then off the ropes with a duck lariat, a double coffin drop. Sting takes Dutt out. Singh slides in, and the icon sidesteps, and we get a coffin drop assisted scorpion death drop on the giant Singh. There's a low dive on Jarrett, a lethal injection reversed into a Scorpion Death Drop, and Darby is basically off of the top. Darby and Allen Sting and Sting win by pinfall with a coffin drop from Darby Allen on the G Le Lethal for the one, the two, and the three. You know, I like Sting and Darby Allen together. I like these tag matches. I gotta wonder, is there a point in time? where Sting and Darby Allen eventually part ways. How long does a mentorship last? Potentially, does Darby Allen turn darker 
A darker Darby Allen. Imagine that. Does he turn on Sting? And do they finally have a one-on-one -on -one match? I don't know. Maybe it all out next year. Maybe at Revolution. Just a little food for thought. A darker Darby Allen turning on Sting. Might be something we see in the future. But for now, they're friends, they're buddies, they're mentors, they're pals. Let's move on. And we get the women's championship matchup. Jamie Hayter, sipping that Haterade, versus Tony Storm. You guys know I love me some Tony Storm. I've said it time and time again, I'm a huge fan of hers. I enjoy her work. She's female Chris Jericho. Liked her ever since the initial tournament back in the um, classic back in the WWE days. So, interim world champion. They start out with a collar and elbow, an instant stalemate back into it, struggling around the ring, into the corner and out of it, a side headlock from Storm. Reverse headlock takeover. Blocked with head scissors, reversal. And Hater wrenching in the headlock in. Tony reverses that shot off the shoulder block, drop down, big forearm from Jamie, but Storm spins out away from the ripcord. Both women back and forth wrestling. Both women did a really good job of exchanging blows and really just a nice high impact paced match. I will admit, I did not think too much of Jamie Hayter going into this match, and I really felt like this was just kind of another stepping stone for Tony Storm. I will be corrected in that statement. Later on in the match, uh, there's some choking in the corner, uh, choking Tony in the corner from Hayter. She's laying chops and smashing her face into the mat, arguing with referee Paul Turner, uh, begging off with a handshake while she sidesteps Storm's uh, neck. Jamie draws her up, trading forearms for a forearm, a whip reversed, a duck salary, a Luthes press connected into mounted punches, and she gets Tony back into it. There's a running hip attack, connects diving, but nope. Tornado DDT, only a two rip, uh, only for a two count. A wrist clutched, trading more forearms, and Storm drops her with a headbutt and falls into the cover, but a one, a two. Now, at this point, we get Rebel that comes down the ramp, and this is where we're running a little interference. And we think that it's gonna happen, but no, nothing big. Tony, at this point, takes a really bust to the face, and her nose starts bleeding. Hater cracks her with a hard back elbow, a running knee, a windmill punch, and Rebel clocks her with the title belt while uh, referee Paul Turner's distracted. There is a fireman's neckbreaker over the knee, a sliding lariat, but they're so close, but just not enough. Rebel's up in the apron, the referee's yelling at her, he ejects Rebel. Jamie draws Tony up with a ripcord reverse, there's a short arm lariat for another close one. At this point, they go a little bit later, Hater blocks um, with a clover leaf, and Britt Baker does comes down to the ring and does a drive-by stomping into the belt, onto the floor. Jamie hits a pile driver, Tony Storm just will not stay down, because she's a beast. Ripcord reversed into a German suplex. Storm snaps out of it. Jamie Hager kicks out of the Storm Zero. Can you believe it? Baker up on the apron. Runs interference. Tony clobbers her, but the hate breaker connects. Storm kicks out. Elbows in the corner. Britt is taking the turnbuckle pad off, but Jamie runs her in, uh, into it and knocks her down putting Tony into the exposed turnbuckle instead. So, with a hook and a crook, Jamie Hayter wins the interim and wins the actual AEW Women's World Championship with the Haterade.
Guys, I didn't see it coming. Jamie Hayter walks out. Women's champion. I honestly thought Tony Storm was going to be given the opportunity to have a longer reign. I do think this is not over for her, though, because of the way this match ended with the turnbuckle. However, um, it's crazy because I would not have guessed, and I don't know how many of you would have guessed, that Jamie Hayter will be the title. And Britt Baker was celebrating with her um, at ringside, and I'm thinking, how long is that going to last? But it takes a village, as the announcer said. And at the end of the day, Jamie Hayter is your new AEW Women's Champion. I applaud Tony Khan and AEW for making this move. If you've got a weak division, what do you do? The fans like Tony Storm. They like Britt Baker. They like Soraya. They're okay with Athena, too. But the reality is, you have to build new stars, right? And if Jamie Hayter has got this new look and this style, you know, there's nothing wrong with maybe giving her a run with the title. So, like we say, let's get in. Let's move on. We've got two more matches to go, and this one is Swerve in Our Glory with Limitless Keith Lee and Shane Swerve Strickland versus the much over, the much popular Anthony Bowens and Max Caster, also known as The Acclaimed. All four men start off. Well, actually, we get a very fun entrance by, <coughs> uh, by The Acclaimed doing the rap segments that they do uh, to the point where I could just honestly listen to them all night long. These guys are over with the crowd. They're fun, energetic, and I gotta say, a good job again tonight with the placement of this matchup. The crowd is just getting to the point before the main event where they're getting a little tired, and you need to get them hyped back up. So what you do is you put the acclaim and their tag team championships in this spot with a title defense. All four men start off brawling in the ring, going all over the place and back and forth. Off the ropes, there's a deep arm drag. And then uh, Caster with a scoop slam on Strickland. It was a tag to Anthony. Scissor me timbers. <laughs> uh, connects overhead and elbows and bowens. But Shane dodges one hammerlock whip to the bad shoulder. And then a tag to Keith Lee. Drawing up a hammerlock slam. Anthony throwing off hand chops. And a grizzly magnum cuts him down. At this point, they're kind of going all back and forth, right? Um, the interesting story of the night here was swerving our glory. These guys have been having tension for a while. You've seen it at the last pay-per-view. You've seen it over the weeks. I think Keith Lee, in the story, you know, does respect the acclaim and just sees good wrestling for what it is. Swerve, on the other hand, can't stand to lose in heel-like fashion. You even see bits of this in the all-out scrum as they kind of, you know, seem to be on different pages. So basically, later in the match, we get a lot of good back and forth action on this one. And then just to kind of fast forward, um, later on, you know, we end up going uh, with Shane, who hooks his face, uh, hooks Bowens' face, um, and basically he hits a bunch of kicks. Anthony Bowens isn't going out like that, though, that easily. Strickland is up top in the swerve stop, and it takes Bowens and gets him uh, with the arrival, tag to Caster off the top. There's a mic drop. That's the movie one to see. But Keith Lee breaks it up with the pen. Shane kicks the bad arm out of Bowens, and there's a sheer drop brainbuster on Max, and Lee is the legal man here. There it's an elbows. The corner body avalanche and a huge 
uh, basically hit. Off the ropes, and there's a pounce that sends Anthony Bowens flying out of the ring. The stomp and the powerbomb combination. Max Caster just will not stay down there. Looking for another spear bomb, Caster tags out, but Keith swings him into Anthony and then powerbombs uh, Max into him. Both members of the claim crash the floor. Swerve grabs a pair of pliers and goes after Max's fingers, but Billy Gunn runs down and makes the save, aka Daddy Ass. Referee swarms to eject Daddy Ass. Lee confronts Swerve and says that he won't win like that. Shane slaps him. Shane Swerve slaps the big man three times his size, right in the face. Keith Lee looks like he's going to murder Swerve Strickland, but he's not going to take it anymore overall. He helps Bowens to his feet. He's laying at their feet. And then, at that point, he just pats him on the back and leaves. Anthony then basically rolls him up, uh, rolls up Keith Lee, but, you know, or Keith Lee leaves. Anthony is the one who gets rolled up, and they're so close, but there's chops and punches back and forth. And now you got Swerve Strickland on his own, taking on the acclaimed back and forth. And there was a moment where I said, it'd be interesting if Swerve and Our Glory did win this match, because now Swerve Strickland could play it up and say, well, tough, you're stuck with me now, because we got the titles. And it would be an interesting, awkward moment where Keith Lee might be required to fulfill his contract duties and I would have liked that story to go that way but here's the thing you can't take these titles off of the acclaimed right now they're too hot too fast too ready so the acclaimed win by pinfall with the assisted Michinoji crew driver on Shane Strickland to retain the AEW world championships in a very fast-paced quick match so again cannot take these titles off swerve in our glory is looking at a breakup and that is going to probably happen super super soon unless we just get a little bit of a delay there. But at the end of the day, nice little matchup to get the crowd up and going as we get into nothing but our main event. And you know what time it is. It is time for the main event, the AEW World Championship. MJF makes his way to the ring. hear the music you're in near his home state and you can't help but think is this mjf's night will the aew have a new era in wrestling but here's the problem john moxley the blackpool combat club are ready to fight for AEW. John Moxley makes his way out to his ever popular Wild Thing theme song. And as he makes his way to the ring, you just know that we're getting to the main event. guys and then as we get in both men are in the ring and I remember looking I actually last night prior to this event did watch their all-out match from 2020 where Moxley defended his title successfully against MJF and you could tell that MJF was a couple years a year or two away from just really being the face of this company then um, with you know JR putting them off in a huge banner even though their match wasn't an empty arena, 
you know, you did see that the ability was there with MJF, but he just needed a little more seasoning. But tonight, he was definitely ready to take the mic and run with it. And, you know, basically lead AEW into the next era. It is MJF time. So, at this point, the match starts off with Moxley with a huge right hand out of the gates. Friedman fires off with a weak slap in return. And John drops him with a right hand. Chops in the corner. Grindy Max's face across the top rope. More chops. Pulling his hair into the turnbuckles. So we get a lot of side headlocks. We get a lot of uh, lariats. And MJF struts over. And then basically, um, you know, kind of spanks himself, taunting Moxley as he has his back to him. So he's doing kind of like the back and forth running in the ring. You think he's going to do an over the top rope move to Moxley on the outside at one point. But then, you know, he just kind of does it, right? So at this point, the no dive, he just taunts. Uh, Mox is putting him in the corner, biting his forehead. He flips him the bird, uh, flipping the bird at the crowd, pulling him into the turnbuckle. Max lays, stomps until the referee admonishes him. There's a big lariat from John, and he takes a breather on the mat. Join crossface strikes in the open ropes. MJF powers up with forearms into the corner, but Moxley turns him around for chops. There's a falcon arrow into a cross armbar, but Max keeps his hands clasped and tries for a pin. John with a corner lariat onto the floor, grabbing the title and walking over to Friedman. MJF spits uh, something in his face. Moxley throws him into the steel steps and back inside the ring. Forearms in the corner, a whip across, and Max explodes with a lariat, and both men are down. There's jabs and a huge left from Friedman, and when he gets to his feet, smashing the champion's face into the turnbuckles over and over and over. It's interesting, right? Uh, one thing I want to say in this matchup, um, I could not get over John Moxley's attire for this matchup. It almost made me blank out for the first five minutes of the match. MJF was in standard gear. John Moxley came out in this matchup wearing like red sweatpants. You might argue that they're maroon. I don't know. They were like a red color of maroon. Sweatpants. Do you think an AEW champion should wear sweatpants when he wrestles? I don't know what happened. I don't know if he forgot his gear. But why was he not in the camo pants and the boots? Why was he not in the same gear that he normally would be in? Doesn't make sense. But regardless, MJF was ready for this one. Back into the ring and back into the action. There's stomps and stomps into the apron. Moxley back and forth. Um, there's at one point when they're on the apron, there's a tombstone pile driver. But Max's knee gives out and he's basically screaming at you. He goes for a tombstone. At this point, uh, back on the apron, Friedman he, uh, hits a knee and he basically, uh, Mox takes advantage of this. There's a pile driver off the apron through a table. NJF barely beats the count getting back in the ring. You can tell that the referee was so slow to count. He didn't want this to end like this. And again, remember, referee's discretion in AEW. He comes back inside to a paradigm shift immediately. Boom! And so close to a pin pal by Moxley. Hammers the bad leg with a kick and puts the figure four leg lock. Trying to roll over to a reverse pressure. A figure four leg lock is like a nice rest hold as they're struggling and struggling and telling a story of, you know, anger and redemption. 
and then at this point, he tries to re MJF tries to reverse the pressure. Uh, the pressure of the figure four slapping himself in the face. He rolls over and reverses the pressure but boxes right on the ropes and he gets the break. A heat seeker pile driver, but nope, not enough. Slapping the life back into his knee. Looking for another one, John throws him off and chops and chop blocks the bad knee of MJF. And almost in heel-like fashion, John was like almost going for like those heel moves, going for the knees. MJF was kind of playing for the crowd a little. Recovering overhead, elbows, underhooks, and the avalanche paradigm shift, but Freeman gets a finger on the ropes. Just one finger. Moxley hurt his arm with a paradigm shift off the top and shrugs it off, demanding Max's best shot. MJF spits at him and he drops him with a slap. Dragging Max to his feet, they trade forearms in the middle of the ring. Friedman pulls the referee right into Box's path and, he, and the referee's immediately down. Friedman pulls the dynamite uh, diamond ring out of his trunks and he's getting ready to use it on Moxley. But William Regal comes down the ramp furious and he tells MJF he better put the ring down now. Max basically then throws the ring out of the ring at William Regal and he gives him the middle finger and flips him off. John from behind hits a sleeper hole. MJF steps up on the turnbuckles and reverses it into the pin. It reminds me of Bret Hart and Stone Cold back from Survivor Series many, many years ago. I want to say it's 96. Referee uh, Ben uh, basically is there to count, but nothing. They tumble into the corner. There's another referee, of course, but he gets knocked out. And then the original referee starts recovering. Um, they tumble into the corner. Mox gets the bulldog choke. And MJF is tapping out like crazy. But the referee is not up all the way. He doesn't see it. Regal tells John Moxley to wake him up. He got and he says, you got to get to the referee. you got to wake up the referee, John. Because John put the tap out and he thought he just won and retained the title. At this point is where it really gets crazy. William Regal slips a pair of the power of the punch, if you will. The brass knuckles to Maxwell Jacob Friedman. That's right, William Regal. MJF puts him on. He drops Moxley with the power of the punch and basically crawling over. MJF wins the AEW World Championship by pinfall with the loaded punch. At the end of the match, Regal just grins while going up the ramp, nods at MJF and leaves. The two didn't embrace, but it's very, very interesting to see where this goes. MJF walks up the ramp, and at this point he falls on the ramp and starts making angels as he's hugging his new world title. Very good match. Um, I like this match better than their 2020 altercation. I think it's not only just storytelling, but I think the crowd just helps, right? And MJF is a little more advanced in his career as well. I couldn't get over the sweatpants worn by Moxley, though. But at this point, your new AEW World Champion, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. And guys, let's get to our final thoughts. Well, what else is there as we wind down? Um, AEW put on a really good pay-per-view tonight, and I really felt like the five hours in the theater of me watching this with the friends, um, shout out to Todd, uh, basically, it definitely felt like it went well, fast-paced, and I didn't feel bored at all. Um, 
I gotta say the placements of the match were on the card were great. Starting off with the cage match, great for the crew, and also great for just the fans, right? Because they love Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. And then leading up with the Death Triangle, and then leading into letting the Death Triangle win, and announcing later on that they will have a best of seven series because the match was so tight and so close. And Soraya making her return tonight, officially in the ring after how many years of not wondering if she could ever do what she'd grown up loving so much. Lots of storytelling. Jamie Hayter, a night of new champions, right? Jamie Hayter taking lead of the women's division. And I'm interested to see where that goes. I actually want to go back and watch more Jamie Hayter matches and see why they, you know, thought to make him champion. And then we get new champions in MJF. Maxwell Jacob Freeman has evolved with All Elite Wrestling. And he is now the face of the promotion. And I got to say, I'm very excited to see what he does on the mic week in and week out. I'll be tuning in just for that. I don't know about you guys. And I think, you know, I almost did not need another John Moxley promotion every week. So while it was a short title ring for Mox, I am welcoming the MJF era. And I feel like MJF needs to be fed some very light, easy contenders just for him to kind of get his feet wet as a first-time-ever champion. And so I would like to see, you know, obviously Ethan Page maybe take him on, and that would close the loop with uh, Stokely Hathaway and The Firm. So I think that's his first title defense at Winter is Coming. This will be against Ethan Page, in my opinion. Um, I also think, you know, there is a future program with Wardlow coming up in which MJF is going to kind of, you know, erase from his permanent record that squash match that happened at Double or Nothing. So I look forward to the MJF reign. Um, let's think about Adam Cole possibly in his future. Let's think about maybe even Hangman Adam Page. The one thing, and then we could lead up to a major match with like the likes of a Kenny Omega or even a Daniel Bryan. You almost want to put him with somebody that is extremely over as a babyface so MJF can be a true heel, but that cool kind of heel. And I do see maybe a Daniel Bryan as that person in the way, 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 way future. Again, guys, tell me what your final thoughts are maybe down below or, you know, shout out this on Twitter and maybe we can chat over there. But I want to say thank you guys for everything again and, um, you know, just kind of bringing what you bring, you know, to make me excited about these products, about AEW and WWE, etc. So everybody, again, have an amazing night. And like we say around here, it's not goodbye, but it's what? It's game over. Have a good night, guys.